Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another exciting episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the Face for Radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. I'm flying solo today on the panel and with me coming all the way from the island of Crete, I have Giannis Kutsoptakis. I think I said that right. Did I get that right? Yep, that was right. Hello, Steve. Right. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So before we dive into our topic today of view and tailwind and uh, other goodies, uh, why don't you give us a little intro, Giannis, tell us about yourself, why you're famous, what you do, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So yeah, uh, I'm Giannis. I'm, I come from uh, Crete, Greece. Uh, I'm a husband and father of two boys and a front-end developer at Pequity. Uh, so at Pequity, we're building compensation solutions for modern enterprises. And I guess my journey in web development started some years back when IE6 was, you know, uh, the new cool thing. Yes. So started helping a friend at his digital agency. Of course, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to write like a single line of HTML code. But soon enough, yeah, I started doing freelance work once I, you know, learned the basics, uh, started uh, hacking up uh, websites with PHP, MySQL, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Um, so I always had a thing about, you know, um, front end, but I, it wasn't until 2015 um, when I joined a company that was implementing solutions for the enterprise. Um, and namely the insurance industry that I specialized on the front end. So yeah, I started experimenting with JS template libraries, then a framework called Reactive, which is like the predecessor of Svelte made by um, Rich Harris. And after a year or so, I discovered Vue.js. Um, it was the time that Laravel um, included Vue.js, so that made it like really, really popular. So once I've tried it, I never looked back. And yeah, over the years, I have used both Vue 2 and Vue 3 to build web apps. It's my framework. Yeah, I would say it's my framework of choice. And I find that it fits my you know mindset and way of doing things 100%. Um, other than that, I'm also involved in um, a local developers community here in Crete. It's called DevStuff. So we have a very active Slack channel. And those who listen to us right now can join us by visiting devstaff.gr. So we host a meetup like uh, every month in which we invite speakers to talk about you know, various software and other technology subjects. And in my free time, well, when I have free time, that is, <laughs> uh, I also occasionally blog on dev.2 about JavaScript and Vue.js stuff or anything else tech-related, really. Um, throughout my career, I have learned that, you know, I have learned so much by reading other people's articles. So I'd like to give much, uh, to give back as much as I can. And, um, yeah, last but not least, I'm also maintaining a couple of view libraries on GitHub. Um, you can visit my GitHub on github.com slash kuts and find more about them. So, yeah, I guess that's pretty much it about me. All righty. So speaking of Dev.2, uh, what brought Giannis to our attention was a blog post he had written on Dev.2 about creating how to create a skeleton loader using Vue and Tailwind, which are two of my favorite topics. 
Um, so first of all, let's talk about what is a skeleton loader in the first place. Yeah. So a skeleton loader, you know, otherwise it's, it's otherwise known as a skeleton screen or a content loader or a content placeholder. Um, is a great way to improve our user experience, our app's user experience by displaying um, a placeholder like a rectangle or a, or a circle or a combination of those. Um, and it's a great way of showing that content is loading. So it makes the user feel like the application is more responsive. It feels a little bit faster. So we usually use uh, these uh, skeleton loaders instead of uh, the loading spinners that we all know and love. Um, because it makes for a better user experience. So it's it's not a, a one-size-fits-all solution. Of course, in some cases, you would still want to use a loading spinner. Um, but yeah, I'm sure everyone has seen like these uh, skeleton loaders in sites all over the, the internet. Uh, but the issue with skeleton loaders, though, is that you have to customize uh, their appearance, depending on the content you would like to simulate that it's loading, right? So if you have like a paragraph, you want to make something like a rectangle or maybe multiple rectangles to simulate um, uh, a text display. Or maybe you have like a profile image in a circle, so you would want that skeleton loader to be shaped like a circle and so on. And then you have like more complex elements, maybe a combination of these, like you can have an image or like a video placeholder, and then underneath it, you would have some text. Um, so building a placeholder or building a skeleton loader for all these kinds of you know situations can be hard, but there, there comes a view and tailwind to, to save the day, I guess. So by little, a little more explanation, the idea with this, for those who might be newer to this, the idea is that you want people to know that your data is loading, right? So if a page comes up and you're asynchronously loading some data, could be a lot, maybe it's slow for whatever reason, um, you want your users to know, okay, quit clicking, I'm loading data, just be patient for a minute, right? So you can load your framework, your, your nav bars and your headers and and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, uh, a spinner, as he referenced, or a skeleton in this case, just shows, okay, this is what's coming in. And and if you do it right, you can say, okay, this is the shape of how it's actually going to look. So you don't have a big shift from this uh, skeleton that doesn't look anything like your data <laughs> to actual, you know, what the data looks like itself when it's displayed. So anyway, long-winded explanation, but I like exactly. to do the basics. You don't have this content layout shift. Um, yes. Because you're essentially like uh, simulated, simulating the display of the content. Yeah, so, that's right. For holding your space, in other words. So, mm -hmm. you know, because probably one of the more frustrating things that I used to have to deal with, you know, whether it was back in my Drupal days or elsewhere, is ads. 
where you know you've got your JavaScript in there for your ad provider, whatever it is. And so your data loads and everything's great. And you're just about to click on a link and then the ad jumps in and boom, your content shifts. <laughs> now you can't find a link. <laughs> you are just about to click on. Very frustrating. So this serves as a placeholder. So it maintains your structure all the way through as well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, so Vue provides us like and Tailwind provide us a great way to build a skeleton loader component. It's like um, you can do it like really simple, really simple with uh, essentially two divs, right? So you have like the uh, outer div that holds the main skeleton loader um, uh, part, and then you have another div for the shimmer that uh, animates from left to right in order to you know show that content is loading basically so instead of having just a plain rectangle or circle that's um, of a certain color you also have that shimmer effect that animated shimmer effect that makes it uh, look really cool um so yeah um what we wanted to achieve so well, with this component is to like build a skeleton loader component that we can reuse to build like uh, other skeleton loader components. So use one base skeleton uh, loader component, uh, use it multiple times to compose essentially um, uh, other uh, skeleton loaders. So let's say you would want to create a, uh, a skeleton uh, loader for a, a I don't know, a, a profile uh, section of your website that consists of an image and maybe some text underneath it, you would use the skeleton loader component once for the image and maybe two or three times underneath it for the for the text. Um, so uh, how exactly it works is like um, you have a type that sets the type of the skeleton loader to either rectangle, which is the default, or a circle. And then you have some props that you can pass to it, like the background class, uh, which is used to explicitly set the class for the background color of a skeleton loader. So that will usually be something like bg-variant tailwind class. And then, of course, you can uh, also use the fall-through uh, fall attributes of Vue.js to pass uh, other class to that, uh, to that skeleton loader, to that component. And that's one of the um, really cool features that uh, this kind of small component demonstrates. So Vue has this nice feature called fall-through attributes. So you can use that to uh, pass essentially class or style to the underlying component. So let's say you are um, you want your um, component to have a certain height instead of uh, explicitly defining uh, a prop for height, you can leverage Tailwind to pass through uh, an H dash something class and and thus setting the the height for your for your component. So that's a really cool feature of Vue.js uh, that allows you to you know to set essentially the component class or style with the fall through attributes. 
So leveraging that, we can utilize all these Tailwind classes to shape multiple skeleton loader instances exactly how we want them. And then we can combine them in order to create a desired uh, result. So that's, that's essentially the concept, like um, create a simple component and pass to it uh, Tailwind classes for width and height and maybe background color as well uh, to create uh, skeleton loaders of various uh, shapes and, and sizes. And what's also cool about this, it's like a 70 line uh, component. It's a really small component, but it also demonstrates some really cool features of UJS. Like, for example, how Vue allows us to set reactive style uh, and apply it to an element inside our components. So you can use um, a reactive object to uh, have your styles and then bind that to, to any div or any other element inside your component. And that's really, really flexible because it allows you to combine, let's say, a prop with um, uh, a default style object that you might have inside the component. And whatever change is made to that prop, it reflects your styles, then uh, that, of course, directly affects the uh, the style of the div that uh, it's uh, applied on. So yeah, reactive, reactive styling. Um, and another cool feature that uh, uh, Vue has uh, for props um, is like, imagine that we have a skeleton loader that supports mainly two types. Uh, it can support a, a rectangle type and a circle type. So when you are building these kind of components, you want to restrict the consumers or the other developers, the users of these components uh, from uh, passing an invalid prop for the type of the component. So if your component only supports a rectangle or and a, a circle type, you don't want the user to pass like a, a triangle uh, prop to it. So um, there comes the validator function for the props that allows us to essentially restrict the values that a user can pass like to the component. And it makes it uh, really, really useful, especially when developing a component that it's intended to be used by uh, other developers. If someone tries to pass a, an invalid prop, into that component for setting the type, um, you will see a, um, a warning on the console that says, hey, you're not supposed to pass this uh, triangle uh, type in, into that property. Uh, so yeah, um, this, uh, this shows like how a really simple component demonstrates like uh, a lot of really, really cool features that uh, we love in Vue.js. Uh, so and one of the things that you yeah. got that you, you is in the title, well, not in the title, but later on is the shimmer effect, which is really pretty cool. How is it that you're generating that effect? Yeah, that's a good question. So the shimmer effect is like something that I couldn't um, exactly pinpoint or recreate with Tailwind classes. 
So it's basically basically consists of a, a simple div that is absolutely positioned inside the container element. Uh, uh, and then we're using uh, a style to essentially apply a uh, animated uh, shimmer to it. So it uh, uses a specific class called shimmer, and then it uh, essentially animates the uh, this element from left to right indefinitely in order to produce that uh, shimmer effect. But um, the cool thing about it is that in order to create like the the coloring, let's say, or the uh, background of the of the shimmer, uh, we had to I, I had to produce like a long uh, background image style tag that consisted of multiple linear gradient gradient um, attributes. So this is where uh, Vue.js computed styles really came in handy. So I could create an object with the uh, background image uh, attributes and then essentially use um, uh, a computed color in, inside that attribute to make that um, uh, linear gradient happened, happen. So this is actually... Um, a nice thing is this, this is actually configurable, so you can pass any uh, color for your shimmer in um, in a hex uh, format, and then it's uh, a, a, a function built into the component um, just basically translates the hex into a, an RGB value, puts that into that uh, style string and binds it into the uh, shimmer element. So yeah, that's uh, that's something really cool that Vue allows us to to do, like pass any any prop into a, a, a style uh, object, bind that into a div, and you can control its uh, characteristics from outside. Yeah, what's really cool about this, and uh, once you read the code in the blog post, you, you can see really what it's doing is the CSS class that generates the color or generates the shimmer effect is like seven lines. It uses the transform and animation and then a keyframes with another transform, all things that I know nothing about because I've never <laughs> delved into that. My CSS, I don't have those mad CSS skills just yet, but it's really pretty straightforward. And, uh, so yeah, once you get your head around the the code and what it's doing using passed in classes and then just one div inside of another with some absolute positioning, it's not really that complex. And what's cool yeah. is he has a um, a stack blitz uh, link in there that takes you to uh, just a little view setup view app and stack blitz that shows the different loaders and how you can customize the colors and images and all kinds of stuff. Pretty easy copy paste and drop in. Uh, for sure. So one of the other cool things about Vue, and I noticed you didn't use this in here, so I was going to ask you about this, is in Vue 3, you know, normally in Vue 2, you would have to set some sort of variable that says loading, okay, I'm done loading, 
to know when to show, you know, as part of your asynchronous code, to know when to show the loader and when to hide it because your content's there. Now, Vue 3 has the suspense uh, element, uh, and I didn't see mm. your stack list just showing showing the uh, uh, the loaders themselves, not how to use them, but have you yeah. used those like with the suspense element in, in Vue 3? Uh, so no, I haven't used them with a suspense element, but, uh, that would be like the perfect, uh, user just well. So what I usually do is use it like, uh, with the, uh, loading state that is set in the, uh, container component or the parent component that usually, you know, is, uh, a loading, just a loading variable that sets, that is set to, uh, true. And then we display the loader once this variable is true until the async um, uh, function uh, uh, returns the data. And then we are setting back the variable to uh, false. And then the loader just disappears and the actual content uh, appears uh, in the same place. But yeah, using it with the suspense component would be... Uh, really nice use case as well. So it would fit exactly the 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 users of suspense that you can put like a fallback content, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It actually has yeah. a defaulted fallback slot uh, in the suspense that you can use. Although interestingly enough, I wasn't aware of this till I looked at the docs. As of right now, on the uh, Vue three docs for suspense at the top, it's labeled as an experimental feature still. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that it's not guaranteed to reach stable status and the API may change before it does. Um, so I wasn't aware of that, but uh, I've used it myself, played with it, and it's, it's pretty straightforward to use. Yeah. Very nice. And I mean, the skeleton loader component itself is like a pretty um, dumb component. It doesn't care about, you know, uh, whether it should display or not display. It's just... Uh, up to the developer to you know to put it in the into the right places and make it display or not display but yeah it can fit a, a lot of scenarios and suspend is probably one of you know most fitting scenarios to to put that component in yeah definitely all right so before we move on any other things to talk about with your loader it's you know <laughs> it's hard to mouth code <laughs> on our podcast, uh, you know, until yeah, you actually exactly. see the code and drop it in. But uh, he's got code for the full component in the blog post. Uh, it's titled, we'll put the link in the show notes for sure. It's called Skeleton Loader Using View and Tailwind on Dev.2. Uh, you can yeah. search for it that way as well. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, you know, um, for me, it's like really nice to demonstrate like uh, thing, what, things can be done like with really simple components. That's what I would like, you know, to convey with the, uh, this small component that, hey, sometimes uh, simple solutions, you know, uh, work equally well and you don't have to write, you know, a lot of lines of code in order to, to achieve something, uh, you know, useful and beautiful. So, yeah, I guess everyone can see the code on dev.2 and play with the uh, stack blitz as well. Um, yeah, so. we got yeah, shimmers with different colors and 
uh, yeah. sizes and shapes and yeah, really handy stuff. And, and this, this sure. loader is actually something that we're uh, using at Pequity for, you know, uh, various screens and various sections that we want to load. Uh, so we're using Vue 2, so uh, we wrote a, a, a version of this exact component for Vue 2. It works exactly the same. There are not a lot of, you know, differences between that. So, yeah, it, it has worked really, really well. All righty. Yeah, I'm looking, so it's Vue 3. Uh, you're not using the scripts setup or all right? Well, no, not really. There's defined props and stuff, the new script setup. But yeah, it's, it's cool. Copy, paste, use to your heart's content. Yeah. All righty. So we're going to move on from the skeleton loader. And another thing we talked about, uh, and the timing is sort of interesting on this, is what is called the uh, TAN stack, uh, uh, written by a guy named Tanner Lindsley. And uh, I'll let uh, Giannis get into the description of what it is. But interestingly enough, we interviewed Tanner on the other podcast that I do, JavaScript Jabber. And as of today, <laughs> that episode was just released where we talked all about the TAN stack. Well, we talked about the TAN stack router uh, with Tanner. And uh, so it's episode uh, 578. I'll put the link in the show notes and you can listen to that if you want some, some great detail. Um, some of you might pick out that it's called Tanstack because his name is Tanner. I didn't. I asked him it because he was supposed to be tan or something because he's really not very tan. But anyway, uh, that episode gives a whole lot of, of detail on what Tanstack is and why it exists and so on. So uh, let's talk about Tanstack. Uh, and the, I think it was the query, right? Was it you talked about? Yeah, it was the query. Yeah, so, Tanstack query. Yeah, so... Tanstack query is a library that uh, came from the React world. So it's a state management solution uh, for single page apps. It started as a, a React package, but it's now framework agnostic. So there is a core that can be used in any framework. And the view flavor of it is called view query. Um, so what Tanstack query does is that it helps us uh, sync our server state with our single page application state. And it does that via caching, prefetching, query deduplication on all sorts of, you know, various features. And this means that by just using one simple composable called use query, one simple composable function, uh, in multiple components, it will only fetch data once and then subsequently return it from the cache. So uh, it's using the so-called like um, SWR pattern. It's um, SWR means um, uh, stale while revalidate. So essentially, um, well, what this pattern dictates is that okay, we are. Uh, when we're firing a request to get back some data, we are serving data that we have stored in the cache previously in the meantime so that the user uh, perceives like instant uh, loading of the content. And then the, this data, we are calling it stale. So, And then finally, when the fetch request 
uh, returns us the fresh data, we are swapping the stale data with the fresh data. And uh, if there's any change, um, the uh, fresh data get, gets displayed. So this gives us gives the user the impression that content loads really, really fast. Uh, that's a pattern that actually comes from uh, the cache and validation strategy that was made popular by HTTP itself. And they brought that to the JavaScript world with libraries like Tanstack Query or uh, SWR. Um, so yeah, um, it's a little bit of a mindset shift when you start using these libraries. Um, and that's because we have always um, been treating the server state like any other client state, but that's not really the case. So there's a distinction between uh, what's the server state thing, for example, um, a list of uh, posts in a blog like this, uh, are uh, living on the server or um, like the details of the user you want to display, for example. And that's server state, that's ser that state that lives on the server. And then you have client state, like, for example, um, well, what um, uh, might be if a model gets displayed or not, or a dropdown is showing or not. That's purely client state. And the truth is that we are, uh, when we're using a state management library like, uh, for example, Pina or Vuex, although it makes us, it makes it really easy for us to uh, handle uh, the the server state, it uh, results in a lot of code trying to do the same things all over again to handle, for example, the loading states, to handle the errors to set variables for um, loading true or loading false when the uh, request finishes. And then you also have to think about, okay, when do I populate my store with all these uh, data coming from the server and so on and so forth. So um, these uh, libraries like Tansac Query uh, come to help with managing all the data that lives on the server. Um, and you only have to like deal or uh, take care of state that lives on the client side. Um, so how how exactly it's working is that it sets up a cache in the memory um, based on a, a on a specific key. So its main function that it's called use query is actually a, a composable that takes a query key and a fetcher function as a uh, as an argument. So then it gives back to you all kinds of useful uh, options like um, is the request uh, still loading? Is there an error? Is the um, is the request successful? Is it idle and so on and so forth? So you can use all of these reactive options that this uh, function provides to set up uh, your uh, view state uh, for uh, loading, for error, for um, populating uh, 
variables and and so on. Um, so it's like really taking all the grant work that we've been doing with um, state management libraries and putting it into a uh, in, into a framework that uh, deals with all of that uh, automatically or rather semi-automatically. Uh, so you can leverage a, a cache layer for your data and, and you will have this data accessible from everywhere inside your app just by calling this uh, use query function with the uh, same query key that you have used. So for example, let's say you have a, you want to fetch a list of to-dos from the server. Um, you would create a query key of uh, a to-dos, that's a, a string basically. And then uh, Tanstack query or view query will uh, put that in a specific place in cache, uh, label that, and then the next time you will uh, ask for it, it will provide you the data uh, from the cache um, until until the request resolves uh, successfully. And for the for the view flavor of Tansa Query, there's also really nice DevTools integration so that you can actually see all of your um, data that's loaded in the cache and the exact um, query keys that uh, each and every uh, cache item is using. And you can also see whether the cache is being populated or, um, or um, when the, the cache is being invalidating uh, and so on. So the view query provides like a really, really uh, robust view experience that we have used with other tools as well in the ecosystem, like Pinya, for example, that provides a an integration with DevTools. And uh, I know that many people haven't tried that in the view world uh, specifically, uh, like this kind of libraries, because I think we're spoiled with Pinya and Vuex, you know, making things so much easier for us. Uh, but I would en encourage everyone to to try uh, view query, especially if they're using the composition API because it's it's made specifically for that. It's using composition API either either for view two or view three doesn't matter, but you need to be using composition API in order uh, to use it. And I think that once uh, once you try it, you will see that it simplifies a lot of these. Uh, code or the boilerplate that we're using every time we want to fetch data from the server. Because the, the reality is that we have to, to handle a lot of states, right? We have to handle the, uh, a loading state, we have to handle a, an error state, and all of these things are made like really simple for us right? uh, without having to you know, manually set up individual variables, for example, for the loading states and so on and so forth. Now, there are also some other interesting features uh, that uh, Tanstack Query provides us. And, and another thing that we have when we are building single page applications is that, okay, we don't know when we want to ref refetch data and update our view. 
right? We, um, so sometimes a user might have to, you know, um, go to a, a previous route or navigate to another route and then come back to a route in order to, for the data to get uh, refreshed. And um, Tanstack Query provides like a really nice uh, uh, usability features uh, under the hood, like for example, um, when the the window gets focus, the all the queries that are um, created in the components of that page automatically refetch their data. Of of course, that's something configurable, but you can see that without uh, the user having to do anything, uh, Tanstack Query is uh, smart enough to know that hey, the window has regained focus, so I might as well refresh the data and provide fresh data to the to the to the view. So things like that make it like really, really um, upgrade the user experience uh, in, a, in a in a website uh, that uses Tansa query. And then, of course, you have like um, another great benefit is that you don't have to put all of these server data inside a, a global store. So when you're using Tanstack Query, essentially you can get by only with using Tanstack Query and maybe some composables. You don't even have to use Pinya anymore. You just need a couple of composables that hold a shared state for the UI because you're putting all of your server state uh, inside the Tanstack Query. It takes a bit of uh, getting used to because it's a mindset uh, uh, mindset shift. Uh, but once you you know uh, get used to the idea, uh, it's it works really uh, really well. So many questions <laughs> after all that. So yeah, it is. I'm, I'm my head spinning here as as I'm listening to you explain how it works. So in Vue 2, and I haven't really dealt with, with Pina or Vuex in Vue 3 yet just because I've been using inertia and it's really not necessary with inertia. At least in my experience, it hasn't been yet, except in some minor cases. You know, usually what you're going to do, uh, or we do quite a bit, is to run your query. So if you're querying a backend, your REST endpoint, endpoint, I guess GraphQL too. I haven't worked with GraphQL. But generally, the idea is you're going to do that from an action um, within Vuex. So, you know, it's an asynchronous function, something that can run asynchronously. You call your API, get your data back, and then you use a mutation to stash the data that you've gotten back in your state, you know, your state definition, all your different variables and structures and so on. Um, and then your component your different view components is configured to read that state as a variable, maybe something with map getters uh, and map mutations, map actions, and so on. And so therefore it becomes reactive amongst all the different components. So if you have multiple components that are all looking at that, um, those state values, then they're gonna update accordingly. But the idea is that you're querying from an action Although I suppose you could do it from a component and then run a mutation from your component, but either yeah. way, you're keeping your content. That's the way you're keeping your content that's in state in Vue Xerpenia 
in sync with your backend. You know, whether it's wherever you're, whether it's an online CMS, a local, you know, Laravel instance or Ruby or Node, whatever. That's how you keep things in sync. So you got to do all that work to keep things in sync. Um, yeah. And so, so that's your state. So mm-hmm. I guess what I'm asking is, you, are you saying one that the query, the TanStack query handles all that for you? All you do is tell it, here's my data yeah. and it handles all that for you? So essentially, uh, let, let's see how you will build like the same thing with TanStack query. So uh, you would use like the use query composable and you would... Uh, so essentially, when you're calling the use query, you're passing to it uh, a query key that's like to signify, um, and this query key has to be unique. It has to be like to-dos or, I don't know, users or mm-hmm. something like that. And then the second argument of the use query function is the actual fetcher function. So when use query is... Uh, called inside the component, it automatically runs when the component gets mounted. So you would use like the use query inside the inside the component, and that would uh, fire the request automatically when the component gets mounted and populate the cache with the uh, query data that comes uh, from from the server. And then all of your other components that uh, want to use the same piece of state would actually use the exact uh, would call the same function use query with the same query key let's say to dos or users and get back the same piece uh, of data now the the difference between vuex or pina uh, that uh, in which you have to manually um, fire the action uh when you want to get uh, new data or fresh data is that um the query key in in the use query uh, function is actually reactive and every time you change that uh it will refetch the data so imagine like the query key uh doesn't have to consist only like one word it it, it can be actually a, an array of words. And uh, one of these words uh, can be like um, uh, a URL parameter. That's a reactive URL parameter. So every time, like, for example, a parameter change, you can have that parameter inside the query key. And this is reactive. So whenever this query key changes, let's say you change a URL param or you have another a variable inside your component that changes, then the query key changes and automatic it automatically then refetches uh, the the data that's uh, bound to this uh, to this query. So instead of uh, you having to let's say manually in manually quote unquote invoke an action to fetch the data, you just change reactive variables uh, in your UI and that has the consequence of actually uh, uh, populating the the, the Tansta query cache with uh, fresh data. So every everything is, these query keys that you're building are essentially reactive. So when a variable changes, uh, new data uh, 
comes in and populates the populates the screen. Uh, so of course there are cases that you want to manually invoke the use query function to fetch fresh data, um, uh, and usually you would do that by you know just changing a, a variable that uh, resides in the query key. Uh, but there is also the capability of uh, you manually um, invoking. A, the fetcher function to to refetch the data, but yeah, generally what you want to do is uh, rely on reactive variables that change, and these uh, when these variables change, these queries fire and populate the cache without you having to worry like um, uh, wh when do I need to fire that action to populate my store uh, and so on. So it kind of feels like magic at first when you uh, when you start using it, but uh, once it clicks, that you now have to just use reactive variables to and and when these reactive variables change, your uh, uh, a request is going to be fired essentially, and uh, new data is going to be populated. Um, it kind of it kind of creates like a a transparent layer uh, that uh, you don't have to deal uh, anymore with uh, setting all all of these things manually. So that's basically the sort of the equivalent of in a current you know Vuex setup where you have your variables which use map getters you know say to point to a Vuex variable right, and then you have a map action. But you're saying that the router handles a lot of this automatically. For you, having to make those calls, you're not having to call an action to say, "Okay, go fetch this data." Yeah, exactly. So what you are essentially doing is um, you're building a so-called query key, and once you build this query key using reactive variables, when these variables change, uh, all the fetcher functions that depend on that query key uh, fire again, and then you get uh, fresh data. So let me let me try to give you an example. So let's say you have a, like a um, a to dos list uh, that you want to load from from the server, and you have like a um, uh, a parameter in in the URL that's uh, uh, basically a search string uh, that you want to pass uh, to the server in order to to give you back like the filtered. Uh, results of these to-dos. So your qu query key would be like the to-dos, and then you would have another part of the query key uh, to be a reactive variable that represents uh, the search parameter of your uh, uh, of your query. So when a user, for example, types um, into a search box, instead of uh, having like um, an action that binds into the input event of that search box that would uh, fire a request to the server, you just change the variable, the, the reactive variable uh, on that input search. And since you have that variable inside the query key of your uh, use query function, Tansta query is smart enough to know that, hey, this search string variable now changed. So I need to refetch the data 
and populate my cache again with the fresh data because my query key has changed. So now you're using something like a watcher without having to explicitly define a watcher that says, so once you use a reactive variable inside your query key for your uh, use query function, Tansa query automatically subscribes to that variable and say, hey, and says, hey, this variable now changed. So the user typed um, a new search uh, query string. So I will now have to refetch the data for that uh, for that query key. So the uh, in in contrast, uh, what you would have done using Vuex or Pina is that you would have a an action that would get fired every time uh, the user typed in the input, uh, in the input text, for example. You do have an at input event um, that uh, would call the function every time uh, the, the user typed on that search box. So in, instead of doing that, you just bind the, let's say you have a, meet, a V model binded into that search box, and you would call the variable search string. If you use that search string inside the query key, Tansta query is smart enough to know that, hey, whenever this variable changes, I will fetch new data for you. So it's a bit of a, a mindset shift. You, you no longer have to think about, hey, my user typed inside that search box, so now I have to fire a Vuex action to populate my data store. Um, what you do is like you only bind a search string uh, with the vModel in that search box. And then you're using the same search string as the query key for your uh, data fetching uh, function. And as soon as the search string is uh, changed, uh, Tansta query will understand that and uh, re-invoke that uh, fetcher function for you. Okay, so looking at the uh, docs, the Tansac query docs review, it's using a to-do list example as well, probably one of the more ubiquitous examples used for <laughs> code examples anymore. Um, so you're passing a query key and a query function to use query. In this case, query key is to-dos, and the function in, in the docs is fetch to-do list. So where is that, exactly. that function defined? I don't see it so, imported in here somewhere, so it's got to be defined somewhere because that's going to make your actual call to your API, correct? Exactly. That's that's the fetcher function. It can it can be a, an Axios uh, function that calls your you know API. It can be basically anything that returns a promise. It mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be. It doesn't even have to be a an actual HTTP request. But yeah, that's what you would usually use it for. Um, so. Uh, exactly. So you pass it a query key, which is the query key is actually an array of strings, or it can be objects as well. And Tansta query monitors this query key and knows that, hey, when this query key changes, I need to re-invoke my fetcher function. So that fetch to-do list is um, actually not, yeah, you're right, it's not... Um, it doesn't. Uh, it's not defined anywhere in in the docs, but it's actually a. It might be an Axios function. It might be a fetch, just a, a, mm -hmm. a plain fetch. Anything that returns a promise. So, the Tansa query doesn't care about 
what you will, what the underlying method of fetching the data will be. It can be any other, you can use any, any library. Tanstack mm -hmm. Query is there to just to handle the caching for you and make sure that ev every time uh, something in the query key changes, it uh, populates the, uh, the data store with fresh data. And then it gives you back when you're using this. So it, it basically consists of two functions, use query that you use to uh, get data. And then there, there's also use mutation that you would use uh, for creating, updating, and delete data. So you basically have these two functions, use query for getting data and use mutation for um, creating, updating, and deleting data. And use mutation also comes with some nice helper options um, that come in handy for uh, both invalidating and refetching uh, queries after mutation. So what you usually want to do after you issue a mutation on the server, let's say you are creating a new record or you are deleting a record, you would want to refresh your page to reflect uh, that change, right? And um, a really cool and nice thing about Tansta Query is that it makes uh, optimistic updates really easy to, to perform. So optimistic updates are uh, when you're firing a request to the server, let's say to delete a record, right? Uh, but you don't wait for the actual response of the server uh, that, hey, I have uh, successfully deleted the record, but you just go ahead and update your UI, deleting, let's say, a row in the, uh, in the table. Uh, and then when the server responds, okay, you don't have to do anything, but, and that's uh, why it's called optimistic update, but in cases that the server returns an error or doesn't respond, or uh, whatever, you have to roll back the changes in the UI. And Tanstack Query makes that really, uh, really easy because it exposes like um, uh, some nice helper uh, options when you're using the use mutation uh, function that allows uh, that allows you to uh, roll back changes and uh, uh, get um, get to a state in your UI when you, you were before doing the, uh, the update. There's a really um, nice documentation section called Optimistic Updates in the Tanstack Query Docs that explains the, uh, uh, the process, which, you know, basically it's, um, uh, it just uh, stores the, the previous uh, value uh, of that specific piece of data that you uh, need, need to mutate on the server. And if, um, if everything goes uh, uh, well, it uh, sets the... Uh, it, so, sorry, if something goes wrong, it, uh, it, you can call them function and basically reset the data to the, the, to the same data that it was before uh, issuing that uh, mutation. Uh, so, yeah, that's... Okay, uh, so a couple questions more, more. So you specifically are only... You have to implement and use call, use query use mutation yourself, right? Because you know, like somebody submits a form, right? That's when you're going to call use mutation. 
Is that yeah? So you, use mutation is something that you need to to call yourself exactly, and that's for like writing. Use query. See, I was thinking use query could be like a post or a get or put or something like that. But use query is that just for like a get type of request? Exactly. Where you want to get data? Okay. So the cache now is the cache is stored in the browser. I assume since this is a JavaScript library, is that correct? And yes, so that's correct. So like with Vuex or Pinya is that cache wiped out when you do a full page reload? Yeah, the cache is normally the cache, the cache is wiped out when you do a full page reload. Uh, I think there are adapters that you can use similarly to Pinyan UX that you have these plugins that allow you to, you know, store data in local storage or session storage. There are uh, similar adapters for ViewQuery that you can leverage um, the session storage or local storage to to save the the cache. To persist, to persist yeah. the cache to the browser it. instead of yeah. losing it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then you get a little trickier because then you got to know when to delete it. Uh, you know when to clear it out. That kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, so this uh, this is sorry, another ahead. like really cool feature of Tansa Query. Like it helps. It has some default set, but you can actually fine tune uh, for every use query, you can fine tune like uh, how much time do you want this piece of data to be held inside the cache. Uh, so you can you can set it globally and you can set it per query. And the other cool thing is that you can also set like the time until this um, data is considered stale. So for some right. requests, for some requests, let's say you're fetching a list of countries, right? How many, how many times are countries changing names, for example? So you might want to consider that data stale after, I don't know, one a month, right? So, uh, but then you have some other requests that are changing more frequently. So you might want to set that time to, I don't know, 15 seconds or 30 seconds or even zero. Um, so yeah, it's like really versatile. So you can uh, set which items uh, are uh, can live longer in cache and so on. Okay, and then I think last thing before we uh, sort of wrap things up is I think it's worth defining what a composable is in Vue 3. Uh, we've talked about um, composables and how they're used by the query library. But I think, but it's an important definition, I think, to understand how they work. So usually, you know, in, in uh, at least in Vue 2, you probably you can do the same thing in Vue 3 is you can have some sort of uh, ex extracted function that's used across multiple places. A common way would be a mix-in in Vue 2 that you can import it in every component. And then it, you have all that, you know, functionality, different methods and, and data values and, and watchers and so on. But the idea is that it's just a function that you pass something in, you do your calculations, you do your calls, you do whatever, and then you pass the data out. It doesn't maintain any state. Uh, but the idea of a view three composable is that it does main state. It, it encapsulates and reuses stateful logic. And if you look at the view three docs on composables, the example it uses is of a mouse tracker uh, composable where it's storing the location of your mouse 
uh, as it moves and then, you know, displaying that for you. So it's a pretty simple little implementation. But that's the important concept between a composable and a regular, you know, some sort of included functionality is that it maintains the state that you pass into it as compared to being stateless. Did I miss, did I get that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's sounds absolutely right. So yeah, composables are a great way to share a functionality between components, something that, uh, uh, and they can also hold shared state. They can also have private state. Uh, is a great way to share reactive variables among, you know, components. Uh, so, yeah, by by importing composables into uh, many components, you can essentially leverage the same functionality instead of you know writing the same thing over and over again. Uh, it's like um, mixins that we used in the view two, that we used in view two, but way more versatile and um, with the, without the issues, the namespacing issues that we uh, used to have in view two. And it's a great way to to share state and uh, with all these you know nice functions like computed ref reactive. Uh, that you can now use standalone in uh, in Vue three without having to to use any components. Uh, you can do all sorts of uh, things, uh, pass state from one component to the other, uh, reuse functionality, and so on. Awesome! All right, so thank you for that discussion. Uh, we initially came on to talk about one thing, and then ended up talking more about <laughs> something else. Uh, Tanstack yeah. query definitely. Uh, I think it's funny. Uh, you know, one of my favorite sayings is a well-known, you know, euphemism is that in computer science, the two hardest uh, things to do are name, two hardest things are naming thing, cache and validation and off by one queries. And um, it seems that the Tanstat query seems to have a pretty good grasp, grasp of the cache and validation, at least there. So yeah. uh, that's you a good thing. It. All right. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are the part of the program where we get to talk about whatever we want within reason, of course. Uh, doesn't have to be tech-related. Could be posts or books or movies or games or or whatever. Um, I like to get some of my posts off of Hacker News. And uh, one I found today that uh, is a little bit interesting, um, and I seem to have closed it, closed it is, um, you know, ChatGPT is the... Uh, Seems to be all the rage at the moment. If you look at uh, Hacker News or whether you look at, you know, the hottest repos on GitHub that Changelog puts out or other places, a lot of them have to do with AI and large language models and so on. Um, so this post that I found is an AI incident database. Um, uh, Incidentdatabase.ai. And it's just exposing bugs and other issues that... Uh, that have been raised or been found with dependency on AI. I personally am very, very leery of AI considering some of the issues I've seen with it. And I know that bias is built into it. It's not as bias-free as people may want to think. But uh, it's an interesting site just to uh, keep an eye on and see what problems have been found with it because there's sure to be some. Uh, and then to the, as I like to say, the high point of the dad jokes of the week. Um, my little short jokes that at least I make an effort to make everybody laugh, whether or not it actually is true. 
is debatable depending on who you talk to. <laughs> um, so uh, I've talked about my you know, job interviews and jobs I've had in the past. And uh, one time I went to interview for a, uh, at a blacksmith job, you know, some real physical work. And he said, are you at any good at shoeing horses? I said, well, no, but once I told the donkey to get lost. Right. Shooing away. Uh, and then uh, this one's interesting for me, considering the state of my hair or lack thereof. Uh, I don't know how useful it would be, but I inherited my great grandfather's antique wig making equipment. Um, it's called it's a family heirloom. Right. And then finally, uh, I had a friend who had a ghost hunter's license and he forgot to pay it. So now he's been repossessed. That's hilarious. Hilarious. I'm such a fun guy. All righty. So those are my picks. Giannis, did you manage to come up with any picks for us? Yeah, I guess my pick would be a tweet from Justin uh, Shredder. So Justin is the creator of uh, FormKit. For those of you who don't know, FormKit is like a framework for creating forms. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, Shock. Yeah. So Justin tweeted like a really nice tweet. Um, he said that um, one of the most attra attractive things about Vue.js is that it's the most open and least corporate of all the options in the uh, view, uh, you know, single page application uh, view uh, uh, world. So it's fueled mostly by passion and great engineers doing what they love. And the, what's really nice about it is that we see so much framework agnostic work coming from the view community. So that's something I would like to highlight and echo, you know, this tweet from Justin. Um, uh, it's just um, great. And I'm also like amazed constantly at the amount of work that the Vue core team is producing, not only with, you know, Vue, the framework itself, but all the surrounding libraries and tooling. Um, so for example, Vite is now also used for, uh, you know, in other frameworks as well, like React. So I really like the fact that it's like a community-driven uh, framework. Uh, and it also like provides many other cool, cool things to other frameworks as well. So that makes the, ecos the JavaScript ecosystem as a whole a lot, a lot better. So that's, yeah, that's something I wanted to like share and echo. And yeah, I, another thing I would like to highlight is like how we are getting closer to a, um, to a state or to a place that we were uh, many years ago with frameworks like, as you said, like with frameworks like R Laravel that you uh, had like the full control of both the back end and the front end. Uh, it seems that this kind of era is coming back with uh, frameworks like Nuxt, like Next. Uh, so 
now all the developers suddenly have the power of controlling uh, uh, like both the back end and the front end with the same uh, language with JavaScript. And I guess uh, it, it took some time to reach the point that these tools have the features that the community wanted uh, and they have matured uh, and now and they're, you know, really, really uh, great at what they're doing. So I'm really excited, uh, you know, about trying, uh, especially Next. I, I haven't... I haven't had the chance to play with it a lot, but uh, I'm really excited to see this shift in, uh, let's say, full stack development again. Um, yeah. All righty. Well, we will have these things for you in the show notes. Uh, so if people want to follow you or uh, read about your wisdom, give you money, anything like that, uh, where's the best way, where are the best places to do that? Uh, I guess, um, so my, my Twitter account is Kutz underscore tweet. It's K-O-U-T-S. And my GitHub is also github.com slash Kutz, K-O-U-T-S. That's the place to, to find me. Uh, so, yeah, I guess Twitter and GitHub. All righty. Alrighty, with that, we will wrap up this episode. Thank you, Giannis, for coming on and talking about uh, it's my pleasure. Tan Stack and your blog post, the shimmering, the shimmering uh, loader. And we will talk at y'all next time on Views on View.